from the Gospel of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. For many people, the uh, events of human history and the events of one's own personal history is oftentimes the determining factor in life that will form them and ultimately determine their destiny. It is world history and our own personal history that leads some people to despair, towards anxiety, towards addictions, towards atheism, while for other people, those very same events of world history and their own personal history, history lead them to the exact opposite, towards hope, towards trust, towards faith, to a life of service and confidence, not just in humanity, but in God. I'm sure you're all very much aware of Jean-Paul Sartre, right? sort of a famous French philosopher whose basic conclusion was that life is absurd. According to him, there's no real meaning to anything, that everything is random, and that there's no God watching over history, watching over humanity. There's just simply nothing. Life is absurd. Probably his most famous quote is, hell is other people. Imagine having to have breakfast with a guy like that. Must have been a real grouch. <laughs> or right around the same time period, was another man named St. Maximilian Kolbe. And when St. Maximilian Kolbe was in Auschwitz, a concentration camp, he willingly chose to, gave, to give his life for another person. Why did he do that? 
because he knew and he believed that life wasn't absurd. Or that life was just random. He believed that there was a God guiding history and watching over humanity. Despite all of the horror and the terror he witnessed with his own eyes and in his own flesh. When John Paul Sartre looked out into the world, when he looked at world history and his own personal history, he concluded that life was absurd and meaningless. When St. Maximilian Kolbe looked out into the world and into his own personal history, he concluded that life and history was redeemed and that it was his vocation as a Christian, as a priest, and as a Franciscan to really stand before the Nazis and by doing so, before the whole world, to proclaim the truth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of history. That God is not asleep, like so many people might think. Or that God has not lost interest in us. And most importantly, that God is not distant from us. What St. Maximilian Kolbe was doing is simply imitating Mary. Mary, as we have seen so far in her Annunciation, in her Visitation, and in her Magnificat, and now at the birth of Jesus, is proclaiming to all of human history that God is not asleep, that he's not lost interest in us, and most importantly, that he's not distant from us. But it's how she proclaims this good news that is so deeply important for us. We see all of this in St. Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. St. Luke says that Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem to be enrolled with Mary, who was with child. St. Luke wants to be very clear that Mary is traveling with Joseph. And why is that so important? It's important because it's showing us how God is using the events of human history to further our salvation. In other words, God is in the very mix of human history. That he's not beyond it, 
that he's not aloof from it. But he's right there in the midst of it all. The historical reason for Mary traveling to Bethlehem is to fulfill the decree regarding the census that was made by Caesar Augustus. Because she is married to Joseph, even though she's pregnant, she's obliged to be present with her husband to enroll in the census. That's the historical reason. But that historical purpose serves a providential or divine purpose. What is that purpose? With Mary in Bethlehem, who is obviously very pregnant with Jesus, an ancient prophecy concerning Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah can now be fulfilled. In the prophet uh, Micah, chapter 5, the Lord says through him, You, O Bethlehem, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. God is using history for salvation showing the whole world, or at least trying to, that life is not absurd. That if we can merely look more deeply into reality, beyond our own thoughts, beyond our own judgments, and to look at life with the eyes of faith, we will discover that God is not only guiding human history and our own personal history, but that he's leading us right through it. It's important to remember that history, both world history and our own personal history, is oftentimes not comfortable. It is oftentimes not convenient. The times that we live in today are certainly not comfortable. They are certainly not peaceful from a merely a human perspective. And so oftentimes it's almost impossible to make sense of and to have a clear understanding and awareness of God's presence. In this context, Mary is pregnant and she's taken away from her home and forced to travel with Joseph. Now, I can't imagine what it's like to be pregnant. However, I am certain that there is nothing convenient or comfortable about what is being asked of Mary here. And so what is the deeply, deeply important spiritual truth that we can extract from this? 
And what could Mary be trying to remind us of? It's simply this, I believe. That God uses everything to get to us. Absolutely everything. We can even see this in our own sins. That even through our own sinfulness, specifically because of the lack of satisfaction that it brings, even in that we can see God using to try to get to us. There's nothing, nothing that can stand in His way. As St. Paul so beautifully reminds us, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so if this is true, what then does this imply for us? It implies abandonment to divine providence. In other words, abandonment to the way things really are. In life, in our vocation, in our own human history, our own personal history, the reality of the circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in. You know the book, uh, Abandonment to Divine Providence, by uh, Father Dave Crusade? I think that book is probably the most underrated book in Christianity. That book is an absolute gem. In that book, this is what he says about Mary. He says, no matter what her jobs were, ordinary ones, commonplace, or seemingly more important ones, they reveal to her, sometimes quite clearly and sometimes obscurely, the activity of God. And they were an opportunity for her to praise God. Then he says, filled with joy, she regarded everything she had to do or suffer at any moment of her life as a gift from him who showers delights upon those who hunger and thirst only for him and not for the things of the world. What Father de Cusade is saying about Mary is that she was able to experience and encounter God no matter what because she saw through the events, the circumstances, and the things of this world. And that she saw through her own life. with all of its events and all of its circumstances. She saw all the way through them to God.
In other words, by seeing through the visible, she was led to the invisible. By seeing through created things, she was able to see the Creator. And that is how we are called to live. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what does this seeing through the visible ask of us? Since oftentimes the invisible is, is not a concrete sense experience, it is asking us to trust. To trust that through anything that happens, whether in human history or our own personal history, that God somehow and in some way is mysteriously at work. Beneath it all, through it all, and in it all. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes if I'm sort of with somebody who's in a crisis, like a, pr a pretty serious crisis, the first question that I'll always ask them is, do you believe that God is present in the midst of this crisis, whatever it is? And their answer to that question will determine if they'll ever make their way out of that crisis. 100% of the time. If they say no, they never really ever get better. But if they say yes, even though they don't feel it, even though they don't see him, but if they can trust that he's there somewhere, it's the first step of healing, of recovery, of a new life. This deep trust that is asked of us. This is how Mary lived every moment of her life. This is how Mary responds at the Annunciation. This is how Mary responds here at Jesus' birth. This is how Mary responds to those piercing words of Simeon at the presentation, that your heart will be pierced. This is how Mary responds to Jesus' own words when she finds him in the temple after having lost him for three days. This is how Mary responds at the cross. Mary is completely abandoned to divine providence. In other words, 
she is continually seeing through the visible. Trusting ultimately in God's providence. And she is always therefore living in the invisible, in the presence of God. St. Lawrence Justinian says that Mary was not led by her own senses, nor by her own will. Therefore, she accomplished outwardly through her body what wisdom from within gave to her faith. What a beautiful description. For most of us, much of the time, we are led by our own senses and by our own will. It's 100% human. It's completely normal. But thank God that's not, it's not all that is. At the birth of Jesus, then, the first thing that the baby Jesus will see when he opens his eyes in this world is the pure and loving gaze of his mother, of Mary. The first thing that he will experience in this world is a human being who is completely abandoned to the mystery of God's providence. What a consolation that must have been for him. For the simple reason that he wouldn't experience that from most people, both then and even today. What he, would, what he would experience and continues to experience for most people are their doubts, their suspicions, their self-centered and narrow judgments, their own criticisms, and their own agenda. None of that is present in Mary because she sees through it all. Imagine for a moment how consoling it would be to God if we continued to pray even when it was dry and God appeared absent. Imagine for a moment how consoling it would be to God if we chose to trust Him when everything around us, all the events, all the circumstances of life, were naturally causing suspicion and doubt within us. Imagine for a moment how consoling it would be to God 
if we saw through our own brokenness and poverty and chose to believe in the love of God for us personally. If we lived like that, our lives would be very different. We would be living like Mary. Which is why we need the eyes of Mary to see through all of this. A few weeks ago, I was having a, a conversation with uh, a very good friend of mine. And this lady is a, a mother of four um, grown men. They're all in their 20s. And we were, I don't even know exactly what we were talking about, but in the middle of our conversation, she just said, she said, I couldn't have raised my boys without the eyes of Mary. And then she just kept continuing, and I said, hold it. <laughs> I said, say that again. And she said, I couldn't have raised my boys without the eyes of Mary. And I thought immediately, first of all, what do you mean exactly by that? Because to me, it sounds like the most amazing thing I've ever heard. But to her, it was completely common sense. And what she meant by that was that she was expressing that the fear, the uncertainty, and the insecurity that comes, I imagine, from simply raising one child in this world, let alone four boys, that what helped her in life was viewing her life through the eyes of Mary. Seeing her life through Mary's eyes. And as she said, it was through Mary's eyes that helped her to see God in all of that fear, in all of that insecurity, in all of that uncertainty that was present in her own life, but especially in her vocation as a mother. What she was articulating is this simple but profound truth that speaks to everyone, regardless of our vocation. And the truth is that through the eyes of Mary, we see Jesus as he really is. And where he really is. Who is Jesus? in the eyes of Mary. He is the living God in our midst. And where is Jesus in the eyes of Mary? He is wherever you and I are. This is what we come to see 
to experience through the eyes of Mary. Amen.